The Big Day Out core team are some of the most resilient people I've ever known. And when I came fresh and young and passionate months after Jessica died, I came to an amazing group of people who were really carrying the most incredible and devastating and harrowing load. Susan Forrester was part of the Melbourne Big Day Out team. Oh, it's very... I can't say the mood was not really, really heavy. The Big Day Out family had suffered a huge loss in 2001. Not just a bad year, a really fucking tragic year, where a young woman died at the show. And it was the first time that we'd really had really bad press, etc. as well. We were no longer media darlings. Sahara Herald, the Big Day Out manager, was questioning the festival's future. I didn't know if people would still want to come or, you know, how their perspective of the show had changed. And to see those music fans still lined up, you know, still there wanting to embrace the show and be a part of it, that was great. But it, it also had changed, you know. Like, it was never, never quite the same. You find by the mid-2000s, we're actually very mainstream. The Big Day Out became a household name. And it started to become a very serious business in a lot of ways. And I, I think that's in some ways when the fractures started to appear. The relationship between Big Day Out owners Viv and Ken was always strained. As we hit the 2000s, a number of new challenges would push them to their limit. Other festivals were cropping up, the audience was changing, the music industry was evolving, and a global financial crisis was on the horizon. All this happened during the Big Day Out's most successful years. Episode 4, Art versus Commerce. By the early 2000s, the Big Day Out was an annual rite of passage for thousands of music fans. You know you make me break. So close to the front of the stage. Everything was so mental, guys. It is so effing hot. I lost a shoe. Fucking everything, eh? Like, I'm sore. I'm breathless. I'm fucked. For a new generation of Australian bands, the Big Day Out was still the dream gig. I just had one of those kind of career defining moments where we're on stage in Perth in front of our hometown crowd. Cav from Eskimo Joe. It was the first time we'd really had that just epic sea of people all jumping around and just, it felt like a real moment in time. Hello, 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 
we were really trying to make it as a band. So to have that kind of energy coming back at you from such a huge crowd was just absolutely mind-blowing. International bands were a huge influence for Australian acts that shared the bill. The Living End were in awe of the rock and roll masterclass on display by... Queens of the Stone Age. Basically destroy the PA, the stage, everything. Joey Castillo was hitting so hard that his drum tech was like ratchet strapping his drums down and bolting bits of wood into the stage holding his drums down whilst whilst, whilst they were playing. playing it was just every kind Dangerous. of wild scary wasn't it train wreck it goes like this. but some Aussie musos weren't afraid of showing the big name internationals how it's done I don't know how many times you and Adam must have pulled your pants down <laughs> on those big day out <laughs> stages magic dirt once got cheeky with Blink-182. They're always talking about dicks and things. So oh, yeah. I thought, well, you can see mine. <laughs> <laughs> you ran out and... Well, we, we had our passes on. That's all we had. <laughs> <laughs> we just ran out. Oh, that's and, right. You were completely stuck. Yeah, yeah. And Adam kicked a footy into the crowd. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Yeah. I remember they were quite upset. Yeah, they were, yeah. weren't they? They didn't yeah. take it very well. No. But, but you're in Australia now, motherfucker. <laughs> Magic Dirt became kind of part of the Big Day Out family in a way. We were very proud that we were the band, we thought we were the band that did the Big Day Out the most (laughs) number of times out of any band ever. And then we found out that bloody Powderfinger had done it like one more than we had. Our largest crowd to date is, you know, that 40,000 strong Big Day Out crowd and you don't get that every day. I got more nervous at that stage and, you know, when the band's sort of second wave of success was taking off because you really had to step up your game. So, mm. And as a performer, it's, it's a different game. It's yeah. so frightening, but once you cross that threshold, then, you know, you just take that leap of faith and you get out there and you do it. Big Day Out just kept growing. Ticket sales were in the hundreds of thousands. Lineups went from 30 bands to 50 to 70, and then each city had its own hand-picked selection of local acts. The expansion meant more hands on deck. The Big Day Out was the thing, and I walked in there and it was like, my dream job. Susan Forrester was the Melbourne event coordinator. I guess my life has never been the same since. Johanna Greenway looked after the sideshows. They both worked in the Melbourne office with Viv. It's really hard to put that into words. It was just the biggest thing ever. Behind the wheel of the biggest thing ever were two founders who couldn't get along. Before I knew them, everybody said Ken was art and Viv was commerce. The whole festival was art and commerce together. I'm gonna fight them all. 
Ken and Viv did have a difficult relationship, but so far they'd worked out a way to deal with each other. There was a lot of crazy faxes that we used to see coming through. Primarily because they weren't talking to each other in person. (laughs) Sometimes rather than have an emotional discussion on the telephone... Their conversations would get very heated. We'd put our thoughts down in writing. Some of the most vicious encounters were... Kind of rapid fire. You can get a texter and write, fuck off, and fax it back. Back and forth. The conduit in all of that was Sahara. As the years after that went on, there were decisions that became more and more contentious. Soon enough, one decision would go too far and the big day out flag, which had flown so high, would touch the sun. Thousands of young people converged on Cronulla Beach in the city's south to lay claim to a patch of sand that has become a lightning rod for ethnic divisions. It was the culmination of a week of escalating tensions. In December 2005, thousands of people were involved in racially motivated riots at Cronulla Beach in Sydney. Sydney, Australia, do you want to? Just a few weeks later, the big day out rolled into Sydney. It was January 26, Australia's national holiday. When there's 330,000 people at a show, they're not all music fans. We start to see this thing where, you know, people were turning up to the show with Australian flags, like, you know, as capes, as headdresses, as bikinis, you know, whatever. It was taking on this real patriotic thing, which was never, you know, it's not a sporting event. There's no teams. Fans who attended the big day out say some people were assaulted for refusing to kiss the Australian flag. Everyone did until me and then I got belted in the face twice. Oh my God, this is, you know, turned into kind of some weird white nationalist type of pride thing, which deeply disturbed us. The following year, big day out co-owner Ken West made a controversial decision. He banned the Australian flag. At the time, I don't think that we actually thought that it would have the impact and focus that it did. That is a really bad idea. I don't think you'd better do that. Viv was against the idea. It's a very emotional and inflammatory thing to do and you just, you know, please don't do that. And next day said I did it. It wasn't a whimsical decision, but maybe the consequences hadn't been thought through. For Ken, it was simple. I'm inviting 50,000 people over to my place for a party. I'm asking those people not to do that. The backlash was huge. Man, did it blow up. Flags at home has ignited a national furor. Once again, the big day out was front page news. We were getting it in the neck from everyone. And my phone started ringing about 5am. By this stage, this controversy was just raging. It was hot. Absolutely unbelievable how intense that was. The Prime Minister was talking about it. And the proposition that the display of the Australian flag should ever be banned anywhere in Australia is offensive to me and it will be to millions of Australians. The Australian flag at the show wasn't being used in any type of respectful way. I don't think an Australian flag bikini is showing respect to the flag. It wasn't the flag that was the problem. It was the behaviour that came with it. 
And of course, people turned up at the show aggressively wearing Australian flags, deliberately, as a, you know, fuck you to us. Really? Part of me's going, I've dealt with death. This isn't death. There's no casualties in this. And it became completely not about the music at all. Our show suddenly became political. Vivian was left with the spinning of it. We didn't really mean that. Ken had made that call without consulting Viv. And Viv was pretty disconcerted by the knock-on effect. If Ken was going to be a little bit of a loose cannon by something like that, perhaps that was why it was the breaking point. Wake up! Wake up! I guess it's um, probably going to be a long-standing bone of contention between Ken and I because up until that stage, nearly everything was agreed. Yeah, and with that one, he just went to town on it by himself. That helped destroy the working relationship, really. The unique individual traits that Ken and Viv brought to the big day out were the same things that made it so difficult. Art versus commerce. The creative friction that sparked the biggest touring festival in the world had caught fire. The event was bigger than both of us. I saw it as art, he saw it as business. He's like that, I'm like this. I saw it as art that needed to be a business, he saw it as a business that needed to have art. The thing's going to get done, but, you know, we're not necessarily meeting at the same place at the same time. There were times where they got on really well and then there were other times where it was almost like they intensely disliked each other. I don't think what kept them together was money. It was the event that they had built together. It was kind of like a broken marriage. I used to say to people probably from about 2006 onwards, you know, we're just staying together for the kids and not the audience. The bust-up over the Australian flag happened in 2007, with Ken working in Sydney and Viv in Melbourne and a fax machine between. They continued to work together for four more years. It wasn't just infighting that was testing their limits. The musical landscape they'd helped define was shifting. Big Dad is something that happened two weeks a year. AJ Matter was the music nut in the 90s who refused to leave Ken's office until he gave him a job. None of us besides Ken and Vivian and the full-time staff of The Big Day Out could make a living by exclusively working those two weeks or having, you know, some bands on that two-week event. So we had the other 50 weeks of the year when we had to make a living and to try to make ends meet. Therefore, we all did have to do something independent. He ended up booking punk and metal bands for The Big Day Out. While it worked, it was a lovely relationship. It was a travelling family. Where you and a couple of hundred of your closest friends would go on the road. Certainly the best days of my life were on the big day out. In 2004, AJ branched out. He left that family to start his own festival. Part of the ethos behind Soundwave was to create something that brought fans of guitar music together. Soundwave was punk, hard rock, metal, hardcore. 
the big day out was no longer the only show in town. All of a sudden, there was an epidemic of festivals. While Livid and Homebake had been around for years, others like Good Vibrations, Field Day, Stereosonic, Park Life, V-Fest and Future Music were also cropping up. It wasn't just AJ Matter trying to take a piece of the festival pie. An increase in touring festivals was always going to impact the big day out. Ken and Viv's initial risk to figure out production, logistics, bookings on a massive scale was now a proven formula. This was the model that everyone else was adopting and furthermore they were using our staff members and our sites and we're finding people just replicating. All of them were being cherry-picked to work on other people's festivals so our intellectual property is just being off. All the things I've trained everybody to do is now being given to somebody else. They reached a stage in the Big Day Out lifetime where there were punters that were going to the show who didn't know life before the Big Day Out. So we would announce this incredible lineup 30, 40, 50 artists for $120. You know, incredible lineup. And they'd go, and isn't there more? So it, it became very hard to actually meet this change in expectations. If you were going to start a festival, the mid-2000s was the time. There was excess, glitz and credit galore. It felt like this big machine, you know, that was just kind of building and building and I don't think anyone was considering the idea of that there would be like a breaking point. Cav from Eskimo Joe remembers the parties. People were just spending money like you would not believe you know, I remember the early after parties in 2002 and they were kind of, they had a bit of a blue light disco feel about them. There was a couple of slushy machines and some beers on the bar or something like that. And by the time you got to like 2007, it was just epic. You know, you would go to these places and there was all these international bands being all cool and out of control and all the rest of it. And they would just be at these fancy bars and the bar tabs were endless. And I just remember at a certain point my head clicking into this idea that that was normal. But it wasn't. In September 2008, the arse fell out of the economy. The biggest financial catastrophe in generations began in the US and spread across the world. After the global financial crisis... Johanna says the cost to book headliners went through the roof. So many festivals were now bidding for the same top-tier artists. 
there were some really stupid and reckless promoters out there that were just offering mad bank to bands without thinking about the consequences and what they would do to the landscape of Australia because a lot of agents then just started to expect that kind of money. So getting crippled by those artist fees was, I think, you know, the beginning of the end for all festivals. Despite the new competitors, the financial crisis and the inflated artist fees, the Big Day Out didn't just survive. It thrived. These were its most successful years. 2010 was the biggest, with acts like Dizzy Rascal, Peaches and Kasabian. Also on the tour was a cool new band from Perth called Tame Impala. They were about to release their debut record. Muse headlined that year with Powderfinger. 350,000 tickets were sold. The demand was so great, a second Sydney show was added, and that sold out too. Walking out, I think, for the last time on the Gold Coast Big Day Out in 2010, mm-hmm. and just, I suppose, because we were Queenslanders, that uh, there was the noise coming back from the audience was uh, something I hadn't heard for a while. It was one of those things where you turn around and look at each other, sort of going, holy shit. It was the last time Powderfinger played the festival. Not long after, they called it a day. Okay, your turn. You couldn't hear the drumsticks. It was almost like a farewell, I think. Okay, 2010. The Big Day Out can now drink, legally. It's been 18 years since Nirvana in 92. The festival's grown into a cultural behemoth, every year bigger than the last. But the team was struggling. Ken went through periods where he was in deep personal assessment of whether he wanted the show to continue. He felt an incredible sense of responsibility, not just about what happened in 2001, but also about how big the show was. And I think he was probably the first one that really articulated that it wasn't fun anymore. The big day out had become cumbersome. It was 700 people on the road. Massive cost, no room for any failure. It was scary. I don't think Ken would ever dispute the fact that there were times where he tried to sabotage the show. He said to me once, I keep trying to kill it and you keep fixing it. He saw the big day out as a beast that he couldn't destroy, that it got too big and every time he cut off one of its heads, it'd grow too. And I saw my job as keeping it on the path, keeping the show literally on the road and literally holding it all together. There were long periods where they pretty much had no direct communication. I would be, you know, the buffer in between. You know, primarily me, but, you know, other people as well. (laughs) 
I started self-medicating. And I kind of was able to disguise that as partying, really, you know, being the life of the party. But um, I was pretty broken and miserable inside, you know. I kind of had this facade going for a while. Um, But, you know, it reached a point where, you know, I I was actually sick. I was burnt out in every respect. I was running on empty and, um, yeah, ended up in rehab. My last active year was 2010. I was around for 2011, but, you know, only in a tokenistic way. Several people had tried to do an intervention with me. I had literally been fired, but I kept turning up at work because I didn't think they could cope without me. (laughs) Um, I think Ken actually ended up changing the locks, which is probably, you know, the rock bottom that I needed to then actually seek help. When Sahara left, it was a huge blow to the team, and it wouldn't be the last. The Big Day Out found it harder and harder to put together an exciting lineup. Because I'm the talent buyer on the international market. I know what is there and what we've got to work with, and it's starting to look really flimsy. We're redoing the same show. We're not able to produce a show that's fresh. For a long time... The Big Day Out had first dibs on Axe, but that all changed when... Queens of the Stone Age decided they wanted to do Soundwave instead of Big Day Out. That created a real problem. That was when Ken and Vivian both kind of got the shits. They kind of declared war on Soundwave at that point. The penny dropped, I think, for them that they had a problem. For Ken, the Big Day Out had run its course. It should have stopped then because 2011 was an amazing lineup. Tool and Ramstein. 2010 was an amazing lineup. Muse and Powderfinger. 2009 was a great experiment. Neil Young, The Prodigy, Arctic Monkeys. 2008 was astronomically successful. Rage Against the Machine. It was really weird selling out in three minutes. 20 years of this festival. Every year it could be the last one you did. You're just as good as the one before. And that pressure's incredible. They press on. Viv throws a Hail Mary and tries to bag Prince. But it falls through. So for 2012, they lock in Soundgarden and Kanye West to headline. The team had their reservations about announcing the lineup. I was really concerned about the lineup that year, even though I love Kanye and he's my favourite and I wanted him to be there, I didn't think that Australia was ready for him to headline the festival. We've never seen so much venom on the website. The Soundgarden fans hated Kanye, Kanye fans hated Soundgarden. It was the end of it for, for Vivian pretty much straight away. I know it affected him pretty badly. I had um, hospitalisation, you know, I was kind of getting to my health and it was costing me my marriage at that stage. I had to make a decision, you know, about my own <laughs> health and well-being. I couldn't be in the crazy world anymore. It was getting too crazy. Viv and Ken were still 50-50 owners. So Viv pitched an idea to Ken to make things easier. That's what I wanted to do, is each of us reduced down to... 30% each and find someone else to recapitalise the event. 
but he wouldn't go for that. So that was my decision to leave at that stage. And it was just over. Since then, the pair haven't stayed in touch. We've talked briefly, yeah. He was sitting behind me at a concert and we just shook hands. That's about uh, how much as we've talked in the last five years, yeah. Yeah, that's how it is, you know. Can't go back. Lees and West, music promoters, were done. One of the most influential partnerships in Australian music was over. But the big day out wasn't. And I always find, yeah, I always find something wrong. You've been putting up with my shit just way too long. Next time on the final episode of Inside the Big Day Out, the festival is brought to its knees. It's the end of an era for Australian music fans. We called the ticketing company and were like, is we thought that the internet wasn't working. Like it was just, we just knew then that something catastrophic was going on in the world of the festival. Thanks for checking out a Double J podcast. Subscribe now to hear the next episode first. And you can listen to Double J anytime on your TV, digital radio or the Triple J app.